So here we are, the final episode of the third season of the Some Weird Podcast. So far, we have told you some extraordinary tales about aliens, strange medical conditions, and inspirations for some of the scariest movies ever made. For the finale, we decided to go back where it all began, Newfoundland. After all, stories about Newfoundland was the inspiration of the podcast to begin with. And although we've branched off to tell stories from all over the world, we didn't want the entire season to go by without dedicating an episode to our homeland. But we're going to do it with a twist. For this episode, each host is going to tell you three stories. Two of them will be real, one a complete fabrication. We invite you, the loyal listeners, to play along and see if you can figure out which ones are real and which ones are fake. So sit back, get ready to play a guessing game, guaranteed to be some weird. Welcome to the 10th and final episode of Season 3 of the Some Weird Podcast, a podcast about strange and unusual stories told by us, a sister and brother team hailing from the island of Newfoundland. I am your co-host Chrissy. And I am your co-host Barry. We are cluing up this season the best way we see fit, by telling tales from that island of Newfoundland that we both are from. (laughs) Born and bred. Yep, we're going to tell three short stories. Uh, Hopefully we don't have the same stories picked. If we do, it'll be easy to find out which one is a lie. But that's what we're going to try to do. Tell two true stories and one fake story and see if we can pick out the lie. Yeah, so the goal is to try and trick the person to not know which one is the lie. And like I said, we'll leave time for you, the listeners, to play along to see if you can pick out the lie as well. It might be harder than you think because the stories are definitely some weird. So let's get it on the go. Yeah. Now, before we get on the go, I actually have a little teaser of all things. So I got a bunch of uh, rapid fire ones, I'll like say. So they're only like a sentence along each. So I'm going to give you a bunch of uh, headlines. And you tell me whether these are actual headlines or they're things I made up in my mind. Okay? Okay. How many are there, did you say? There's 10. Do I know how many are true and how many are a lie? No. They could okay. all be true. They could all be fake. Okay. All right. Do I get to get any hints or is it just I got to say yes or no or true or false? You say true or false. That's, that's it. Here we go. So number one, the girl gods of Newfoundland thought it was unfair that scouts called their first group beavers due to potential references to female genitalia. In protest, they lobbied to have their injured group, Sparks, changed to Dickie Birds. (laughs) That's false. (laughs) Yes, that is false. (laughs) Okay, that's good though. That was a good laugh. All right, the next one. Due to the collapsing cod fishery, Newfoundland tried to diversify their economy in the 1980s, investing in the growing of hydroponic cucumbers, despite Newfoundlanders only eating, on average, one half of one cucumber a year. (laughs) It failed miserably. That's a true story. That is a very true story. And like I said, I was actually going to use this for my two truths and lie as a longer story, but anyone from Newfoundland knows that's true, so. Yeah. You know way too much about that particular story. We may save that for a future episode, but they basically had like this facility that was like Broidered in the, the sun, basically. You can see it all the way in Barbara. It was in Mount Pearl. And they're growing cucumbers. The only thing they did was cucumbers. <laughs> and on average, it cost them, when it was all said and done, twenty seven fifty per cucumber grown. And they sold for 50 cents each. <laughs> Jesus. So net loss of $27 per cucumber. All right. So the next one. The town of Dildo is very famous for its sexually suggestive name. And it was recently featured on Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, mm-hmm. but there's also very other sexually suggestive names in Newfoundland, including Penetration Point and Cock Harbor. Oh, my God. Honestly, this could go either way. I'm going to say it's true. No, it's false. Okay. <laughs> there are sexually, there's one called, there's a place called Conception Bay. There's one oh, called we're from Spread Conception e- Bay. That's right. There's Spread Eagle. 
these ones are completely made up. All right. All right. In 1963, Mike Stoyles, a man from Belle Island, tried to cross the nine kilometers of ocean between Belle Island to Portugal Cove using his son's blow-up pool because the convenience store was out of beer. Did a man try to go across the tickle in a blow-up pool because the store was out of beer? I'm going to say false. Yeah, it is false. It was pretty good, though. I had to think about it. Oh, that's good. Next one. Due to Newfoundland being the first location in North America to ring in the new year, special agents from the FBI and CIA were secretly dispatched to Newfoundland on December 31st, 1999, just in case the Y2K bug caused an issue that would cause Cold War nuclear missiles to malfunction and launch on the Soviet Union. I hope that's false. Yes, that's false. Okay. Jeez. In the 1950s, the busiest airport in the world was Gander International Airport. It was so because planes flying to Europe needed to stop and refuel. That's true. That is true, yes. Yeah, I was waiting for like, and then a Yeti landed in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, in 1942, a German submarine landed in Martian Bay in Labrador to set up a remote weather station. This is the only time foreign soldiers stepped foot in North America during war times. Hmm. What year did you say? 1942. Huh. I'm going to say false. No, nope, that's true. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know what the weather station was for, but it was there and probably it, was, it wasn't even touched until the 80s. They went Is that right? Okay. No, never heard of that one before. Okay. During a World Cup qualifying match played between Canada and Honduras at King George V Park in St. John's in 1985, fans from Honduras mistakenly booked flights to St. John, New Brunswick and missed the game. Oh, that's true because... You covered that story before. Yeah, I talked about it. Yes. Yes. Yep. Well, at least I was paying attention back then as well. That's right. Um, Although closely associated with Mexico, guacamole was first invented in Newfoundland by Viking settlers. During the archaeological dig in Lonson Meadows, they found several avocado pits. False. That is false. Yeah, there's no way they were getting avocados anywhere that far north. (laughs) Uh, The grandfather of Pendulette, the famous... Magician from Penn and Teller is from Carbonair. Is he the one who speaks or the one who doesn't speak? He's the one who speaks. Um, I'm going to say true. That is true. Okay. I'm surprised, but his grandfather. Okay. You did very well. I think you only missed two. So there you go. You're going to bode well in this. I was going to say, is this going to be any indication of how I do with your uh, long form story or your longer form stories? No, that was, some of them were tough. I mean, some of them were like avocados. That was pretty easy. But, uh, and then of course, some of them I I had known because what self-respecting Newfoundlander doesn't know the sprung greenhouse? Yeah, that's right. But a lot of them I was like, mm, I could really go either way. So. Yep, so hopefully you guys played along and let us know how you did. Before you dive into your stories, I did tell you this before when we were kind of talking about this. When I was trying to figure out how to position my stories, one, two, and three, I was like, is he going to start thinking about, well, she's going to stick like the the fake one at this position or whatever. So I just, I totally randomly got one of my kids to pick out of a hat what order they go in. So just a little I I did the same thing. I I randomly chose the three. I didn't get my my son to do it, but I, uh, I had the three names and I pulled them out of a hat. So Sorry, one more thing. We got to lay the ground rules since we are doing this differently. Um, are we going to listen to all the stories and then at the end figure out which one were the lie? Yes, I think that's what we should do. Listen to all three stories and each side and then pick the lie. Okay. So here we go. My first story is called Death of a Screechin. So it's no secret that Newfoundlanders are proud of where they are from. The rich culture and quirky nuances that go along with being from Newfoundland never really leave a person. 
Unfortunately, the economy, especially many of the outport communities that make up the province, are not overly strong, and many people have to move away to find employment to earn a living. Both yourself and me have had to do this in the past. Mm-hmm. I ended up moving back, and you didn't. No matter where you live, a Newfoundlander will always call Newfoundland home. Sure, you have a home, a family, a career somewhere else, and you'll probably never consider moving back permanently, but in the end, you'll still call Newfoundland home. Mm-hmm. Even your husband calls Newfoundland home. So that's the kind of hold this place has on people. The government is very aware of this, and every now and again, they try to boost tourism. They say, all right, this year is going to be the come home year. So everyone say, all right, bring every man, woman, and child back to Newfoundland. Actually, 2022 was actually a come home year. Yeah, is that still going to happen? <laughs> well, I don't know if you're, you're not allowed to travel, but it's come home year. They got new license plates and everything. Is that right? But that was before Omicron, so hopefully it still happens. I, I'm a firm believer that Omicron is the last uh, hurrah of COVID. I certainly hope so. There's been many of these over the year. I think when the Matthew came by in 97, there was a come home year, and there's, there's been a few, and sometimes specific communities have come home years, even though it's like not a provincial one. Mm-hmm. But the first one they ever did was in 1966. Gerard Snellgrove, he's an electrician. He moved to Toronto in 1962. He was very excited about come home year. Uh, the reason he was, his wife-to-be, Gulika Patel, I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, G-U-L-I-K-A, Gulika, um, she was born in India and never been to Newfoundland. Her family immigrated to Canada in the 1950s when she was a little girl. She met Gerard when he first moved to Toronto or soon after he first moved, and they were engaged to be married. So this was going to be her first chance to meet her in-laws in the come-home year. So Gerard was from a town called Galtus. You ever hear of Galtus or know where Galtus is? No. So Galtus is down kind of like where uh, Beta Spear is down that way. Okay. And it's only available by ferry. Oh, wow. So uh, the Galtus had all kinds of activities planned for the come-home year. Uh, most centered around Galtus Days, which is a local municipal holiday, and it's in the beginning of August. So they had the standard stuff that you'd have for a, uh, a municipal festival. They had concerts featuring local artists, card games, good game 120s, mm-hmm. bingo, community barbecue, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they had planned, because it was a come-home year and people were bringing mainlanders to the town, was a big screeching ceremony. Okay, So for anyone who doesn't know, I know anybody who's in Newfoundland, they obviously know what it is, but if you're listening from... I don't know, say Greenland, and you don't know what a screech it is. We haven't brought that one up in a while. Fucking Greenlanders still aren't on to go with this. Yeah, that's right. We'll get you yet. That's okay, because we have Botswana now. Botswana? Yes. Okay. Thank you, everybody from Botswana listening. So if you're from there and you have no idea what a screeching is, basically what it is is when somebody's visiting, it's a kind of a, a fun little ceremony that you do to become an honorary Newfoundlander. It basically involves repeating some local sayings. Uh, long may your big jib draw, which nobody ever says except for when they do this. It's true. Uh, but like, what do you at my son or stereo to come where you're at all these local, local things, right? Yes. It sometimes involves eating Newfoundland steak or Newfie steak, which is bologna. Yes. You have to kiss a cod and you end it off by drinking a shot of screech, which is the rum of Newfoundland, which is actually made in Jamaica, but that's another <laughs> yeah. story. It's a very complicated ceremony, <laughs> but yes, is, yes, that's the gist of it. And then at the end, if you do all those things, no matter where you're born, you get a certificate that says that you're an honorary Newfoundlander now. Yeah. And the whole ceremony is done by a guy usually dressed up in oil skins and a sou'wester. Picture the Gorton's fisherman. That's what you look like. <laughs> exactly. So for this Galtus come home year, Galtus days screeching, there were four mainlanders there, and they were all spouses of people that moved away. Okay. So the mayor, uh, John Peters, he performed the ceremony. Everything seemed to go normal. Galika, she fumbled through the phrases. Uh, all Newfoundlanders get a kick out of, of someone from the mainland trying to say the uh, the common Newfoundland phrases. Yes. So then when she got to kiss the cod, she kisses the cod, and she had a very awkward face. 
which anyone would, I guess, if they had to kiss a fish. Yes. Um, everyone laughed as you would. So then it came time to drink the screech. So she took it, shot it right back, and as soon as she shot it back, she threw it up. So <laughs> everyone roared laughter, and they're like, oh, Gerard, your, your missus can't hold her liquor, eh? Yes. But the laughter almost immediately turned into uncontrollable panic when Galika dropped to the ground and started having an uncontrollable seizure. <gasps> she kept vomiting uncontrollably, and she lost control of her other bodily functions. People were panicking, didn't know what to do. Again, this is a very remote community. It was only accessible by ferry, and it wasn't more than any time soon. There was no medical personnel there. She was unresponsive, but she was breathing. Uh, so they made a plan, so they got a speedboat, and they brought her to the nearest medical facility, which was a 20-minute boat ride away in her a town called Hermitage. Oh, yeah, I know Hermitage. Yeah. Is that close to where your wife is from, or is that nearer to Harbor no. Breton? It's the Harbor Breton side. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yep. So uh, they arrived to the medical facility. They ran into where the doctor lived next door. They banged on the door, saying, come on, doctor, you got to come look at this. And despite his best efforts, Galico was pronounced dead. The autopsy was done in St. John's two days later, and it was discovered that she had an allergic reaction to the codfish that caused her to vomit. Uh, the violent vomiting caused her throat to swell, and the vomit got lodged in her throat, causing her to suffocate. So this is the only documented case of death by screeching in. Okay. Kind of morbid, but... All right. Well, a fun little ceremony turns into uh, poor yeah. Mrs. Dying. Went from people laughing because they thought that she uh, couldn't handle the screech, which, to be fair, not, not many people can. It's pretty good. I'm not a fan of screech, to be quite honest with you, to turning out that she had her allergic reaction. Even very, She must have had a very severe uh, allergy to fish to the point where you just touching on her lips caused her to vomit and all that kind of stuff. So that's my uh, that's my first story. All right, I'll, I'm going to hold my comments till the end. That's a crazy story, though. My first story is called The Corner Brook Boom. Okay. Okay. Longtime listeners of our show will remember that our very, very first episode was about a mysterious and semi-destructive boom that wreaked havoc on some unfortunate chickens in Bell Island in 1978. <laughs> the Bell Island Boom. That was uh, our very first episode. So that incident sent us on our weird podcast journey, but you might be surprised to learn that there's a bit of a history of weird, unexplained booms throughout Newfoundland. Actually, I think we sort of touched on some of the booms that were happening close to that time frame. But this particular boom that I'm going to tell you in this story happened way back on October 11th, 1941. Over in Cornerbrook, which is a fairly large community. I don't know if it's considered a city. I think it is. It right? is. It is considered a city. Yeah. A city over on the west coast of Newfoundland. So it's right in the midst of World War II, before the Cold War. So there wasn't a lot of conspiratorial theories offered up. <laughs> it was just regular wartime, not Cold War time. At this time, the town of Cornerbrook, or the city of Cornerbrook, sorry, was a boom town due to its flourishing pulp and paper industry, and it was also a conventional boom town in the loud noise sense. Shortly before supper, many residents reported seeing something falling from the sky, and that was followed by a loud boom, pretty similar to what we saw in our Bell Island boom story. The something was described as a ball of light. Not unlike, again, okay, yeah. what was from the Bell Island story. So there's like a history of these things happening. After this celestial curiosity and the boom, a man by the name of William Snow found that there was some damage to his house, including two broken windows, his clothesline was destroyed, <laughs> and worst of all, his lovely pile of wood, which was waiting to chase away the cold in his wood stove over the upcoming chilly fall nights, was all torn asunder. 
So his wood <laughs> pile was all over the place. Whatever caused this light in the sky and boom flung pieces of his wood in all different directions. And they said it landed as far as 900 feet away in one of his neighbor's yards. But since they were not yet in the throes of the mutually assured destruction fear of the Cold War, the explanations for what caused this boom and this minor damage, I guess, were a little bit more conventional than what we saw for you know, theories for the Bell Island. Many people believe that the most likely cause was a meteorite. So even though nobody saw a rock or a crater anywhere near uh, Mr. Snow's house, they figured that was probably the most likely case scenario. A reporter went out to investigate, and he wrote that the day that the boom occurred was cloudy and dull with occasional rain showers. That's every day. That's every day, yeah. I mean, it's rain drizzle and fog. And nobody was able, or nobody that he spoke to anyway, was able to recall any sort of strange weather or squall or lightning or anything of that nature. If it was a cloud-covered sky, I don't know why they could see a light in the sky. I, that part I don't really understand, but people still thought it was most likely a meteor or a meteorite. On closer inspection of the damage, they also found that in addition to the two broken windows, smashed up wood pile, and broken clothesline, part of Mr. Snow's fence was knocked down. Making the incident even weirder was the fact that no other houses in the vicinity had any damage at all. It was very localized just to this one person's house. Neighbors also uh, said to the reporter that on the day of the boom, they saw that Mr. Snow's yard was filled with dust, but definitely no smoke. So they were very determined that there was a difference between dust and smoke, and what they saw was dust. Police were called to investigate, and when they looked at kind of the localized damage that happened, their theory was that it was a whirlwind, which is like a mini tornado, I guess. But the yep. thing about that is a whirlwind will happen when two um, like winds come together from opposite directions and then they kind of curl around each other. But the weather of the day was cloudy and dull with some light rain. Nobody said that it was extra windy or, or anything strange like that. There was a, some guy in Cornerbrook who was an amateur astronomer, and he said, well, there was a comet here last week that only comes by every 164 years. I have no idea why he said that. He didn't offer that as an explanation, and it wasn't on the day of the boom, but he decided that was important to put into this story that I read. I actually got all my stories from the Memorial University Folklore and Language Archives. Okay. Um, so, yeah, for some reason that was important for him to put in this story. But in the end, the incident was just kind of chalked up to just a weird thing that happened. So Mr. Snow repaired his stuff, collected up his wood, and the town of Cornerbrook left the mysterious boom in their past. That was it. That was it. Yep. Interesting. Very similar to the Bell Island boom. That's why it I is. thought this was... It was a little bit less uh, severe, but... A little bit less severe. I mean, there was no dead chickens, but, I mean, yep. can you imagine if your wood pile got smashed all over the place? Like, that would be sad. That would be sad, yeah. Yeah. And then it was weird that it was only, again, at this one house. Yeah. All the other houses Almost like he was cursed or... Almost like he was the Flanders of the neighborhood. That's right. <laughs> so. Anyway, yep, that's the Cornerbrook boom. Okay, so here's story number two for me. Got to get me moose by. Mm. So that's a famous uh, Buddy What's His Name song. And in the song, there's one part that says how he gets his moose. He wings him with his car. Is that how the song goes? There's one part of it. That's how he ends up getting his moose. I'll wing him with my car. <laughs> and uh, this story is about uh, about a gentleman gets hit by hits a moose. But uh, 
very interesting way. So one June day in 2015, a man named Jack Carter was driving down the highway in the northern peninsula of Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't much traffic on this particular day. He would go several minutes in between seeing any vehicles going on the opposite side. So it's not a divided highway. It's just like a two-lane highway. Mm -hmm. It was one of those things where you see a car every 15, 20 minutes, whatever. Eventually, he sees a Toyota Corolla coming in the opposite direction. So a Corolla is a very common vehicle, and this is not an unusual sight at all. But as the car drove by, uh, Jack noticed something very odd. The roof was peeling off the car, the windshield was smashed in, and the guy who was driving, his face was covered in blood. So he's like, that's interesting. Oh, your story's horrible? What's <laughs> <laughs> wrong with you? Yeah, I don't know, that's right. <laughs> so Jack turned around the car and he started chasing the guy going the opposite way on the highway. He eventually caught up with him and told him to pull over. So Jack comes out and says, are you okay? And the guy looks at him, his face is covered in blood, and his car is beat to shit. And he's like, oh yeah, top shelf, how are you? Uh, so Jack looks in the car. He sees a huge moose pelt in the back. So it was obviously this guy hit the car and, and tore a piece off a of moose. The steering wheel and the guy was completely covered in, in moose shit. So he said, look, man, you've been struck by a, you, you just hit a moose or you, you hit a moose somewhere. You got to go to the hospital. Another driver didn't believe him. He's like, go on with your boy. I didn't hit no moose. And so this guy was named Jim Drover. He said he had no recollection of hitting a moose and could not explain the condition of the car, the blood on him or the poop all over his vehicle. Ew. So what he's like, okay, well, we got to get you looked at or whatever. So he managed to get him into his car, drove him to his sister's house, and got him cleaned up to go to the hospital. Okay. So if I ever rescued a, a shit-covered man, I'd bring him <laughs> to your house, clean him too. I'm not I'm not cleaning my house. <laughs> yeah, right? No, well, you're not coming here. That will let you cross the border. <laughs> so it turns out Jim hit the moose over 20 kilometers away, and he drove all that way having no idea what he'd done, how he did it, when he hit the moose, why he hit the moose, or whatever. He just... Apparently, hit the boost and kept on driving. He went to the hospital to get checked out. Wasn't impaired. No major injuries. And to this day, he has no recollection of the incident. He can't believe it happened. He don't know how it happened. Don't know why it happened. And doesn't recall hitting the moose first and last. So, okay, I have a follow-up question. Maybe you don't know the answer to this. Did anyone go clean the moose? <laughs> that's a big prize. <laughs> buddy, buddy, that's right. Buddy, what's his name, did? He got a few steaks, some sausages out of it, bottled moose. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, but they did go to check to see where it was. It was over 20 kilometers where, where Jack found uh, found him. So Okay. So the, he just went to the hospital. He was fine. No He was whatever. fine, yeah. That was it. Not, not impaired, no nothing. That no he history just... of any kind of psychosis or nothing like that. It was just okay. unexplained. You cannot explain when he hit the moose. He just doesn't recall doing it. I don't know. That's a weird story. My next story also has to do with a moose, believe it okay. or not. But it's not uh, not the same Luckily, we haven't struck the same story yet. So this story is called The Stairs in the Woods. Okay. All right. So this story takes place in uh, around Lewisport in November of 1956. A man by the name of Gerald Power and his 16-year-old son, Tommy, set out to go moose hunting, which is a very common thing for yep. I've never done it. I don't think you have either. But I'm not people. a hunter. No, I, I love meat, but if, if I had to hunt to get my own meat, I, I'd be a vegetarian because I wouldn't be able to do it. Which is totally hypocritical. but It's very hypocritical, and on the same way, I wouldn't hunt myself. But a lot of people do do it in Newfoundland. So Gerald and his 16-year-old son, Tommy, they're going out for moose hunting uh, Saturday, November 10th, 1956. This was Tommy's very first year to go hunting. He had just turned 16 earlier that year, and I, I think that's the minimum age for to get a license. So uh, he was very excited. So they get up at the crack of dawn, they load up their truck, and they head out to get their moose. Like... Buddy, what's his name? Like you would, yeah. Like you would. <laughs> I dies at you. Uh, anyway, okay, so they go to one of Gerald's favorite hunting 
areas he'd been hunting for years and he'd gone there several years in the past and he'd gotten pretty lucky you don't get a moose every time you go hunt no you do not know he had some degree of luck in the past year so he, he went to like favorite place so they get all geared up and they start their trek into the newfoundland wilderness looking for the moose they didn't have a lot of luck they didn't see any moose but it's kind of a patient game to play you don't like i said they're not <laughs> they're not like herds of moose roaming around they're single animals and they're sort of hard to find but they, you know, they were determined. Around noon, they stopped to eat their lunch. Uh, and then they ventured a little bit further into the woods. And then suddenly, right in the middle of the woods, they came across a very strange sight, which was a random staircase just in the middle of the woods. The staircase? Just there. So Going up or down? <laughs> it was going both ways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Happy uh, down, I assume. It was going up. It was just like a staircase. To nowhere. To heaven. Yes, not like down into a cellar, but like up as if you were going into a house. Okay. So when I was looking for stories for this episode, this particular story jumped out at me because right now there's a lot of stories going around about random staircases found in the woods. I don't know if you know this or not, but... I, I do not know this. It's a whole thing. When your kid turns into a teenager, you'll start learning more about these very bizarre things. If you look on Reddit, that's kind of where these things started. They're probably mostly hoaxes, right? But um, okay. it's, it's a whole like urban legend or rural legend, I guess, to find staircases <laughs> in the woods. I don't know how you would call this. But this is way back in 1956. So this is, this is why it stood out to me so blatantly. Okay. So the duo are kind of curious. So they go up, they take a closer look. And they said that it looked like the remnants of a long ago hunting cabin. So like some the cabin burnt down or something like that and these stairs were left. But they didn't see anything else around the stairs. Like they didn't see any broken glass or old shingles or anything else to make it look like there used to be a cabin there. Except for these stairs. It's really kind of weird. So whether they decided they were just going to like do it for the laugh or whatever. For whatever reason. They decided they were going to just climb up these random stairs. So they climb up the stairs. They look around and what do you think happens? Nothing. They're just stairs in the woods. They're like, that was fun. Yep. And they climbed back down. They went on hunting, <laughs> right? Soon enough, they're they're still going through the woods. They're thinking that was kind of weird to see. They still don't see a moose. They know it's getting late. So they say, it's time for us to pack up and go home. We'll try again later. We got our license for the season. Yep. So they get back in the truck. They drive back to their house in Lewisport. And they found that Gerald's wife, slash Tommy's mother, was very distraught. This was really weird because... In the story that I read, uh, she was kind of known as being this tough old bird. <laughs> That's how they described her. And this was totally out of character for her, her like, freaking out. But Gerald and Tommy didn't know what to think. So when she noticed them, they said that she turned white as a sheet and she started freaking out. She was like, where have you been? They were like, um, moose hunting. We left this morning. We're back for dinner. Or, sorry, back for supper. That was a, an American thing for me to say. <laughs> yeah. They were back for supper. Yeah, they were really confused because it's not like she didn't know where they were. So she was, at this point, the wife and the mother who, in many of these stories, she doesn't have a name. She's just Mrs. So she's probably ready to get her rosary beads out because she pointed out to Gerald that it wasn't supper time on Saturday, November 10th. It was Tuesday, November 13th. Oh, wow. Yes. And Gerald and Tommy were like, no, we left this morning. And she's like, you've been gone for four days. Everyone has been looking for you. Nobody could explain what happened. Gerald and Tommy had no recollection of any missed time. And not only that, but they had no signs of um, like dehydration or exposure, like anything to indicate that they had been in the wilderness for four days. They weren't hungry, nothing like that. 
it was just an unexplained thing that nobody knows what happened. But it didn't stop them from going hunting. In a couple of weeks, they got their shit together again, and they finally did go out and get their moose. Did they go back to these stairs? They did go back to the same area. So Gerald, the dad, had been going there for years, like ever since he was yeah. 16 or maybe even younger back then. And he had never seen those stairs before. And they never saw them ever again. They could they could not relocate oh, wow. these crazy stairs. Time-traveling stairs. It's like time-traveling stairs. Isn't that weird? It's really weird. I mean, you can go in the woods, I guess, and get lost, but you would know when it's nighttime. Well, you know, you know? It, was night, it was night and day, night and day a couple times, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I guess oh, she was She was a tough old bird. She's like, all right, we'll go get your moose. You're, you're fine. That's right. Go on back. Mm-hmm. Don't take four days this time. So my final story, the headless sea captain. Uh, in 1745, a man named Samuel Pettyham uh, recently moved to St. John's from wherever and began renting a house in the downtown area. It wasn't long before he moved in where he started feeling very uncomfortable. It's one of those feelings that you can't describe, but you just don't feel right. You know how it is when you're just somewhere and just something doesn't feel right? Yes. I get that feeling quite a lot when I'm editing. Sometimes I creep myself <laughs> out with some of our stories. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the feeling didn't go unfounded because it wasn't long after he developed this feeling that latches on his front and back doors began mysteriously lifting up and down in the middle of the night. Sometimes when he actually saw the latch open, he would go out and fling the doors open, but no one would ever be on the other side. Uh, he found this very disturbing, but the rent was cheap, so he figured, eh, whatever. Okay. Good spot. Uh, what he did do, though, is he went out and bought a deadbolt and began deadbolting the doors in, in addition to the latches, so that way, make it harder for them to mysteriously open. So one night, while coming home from a friend's house, he noticed the silhouette of a man on the street close to his front door. So he figured this is the guy that's been screwing around with his latches all along, right? He went to run up to this guy and yell at him, but when he got closer, he stopped and froze. The man in front of him did not have a head, uh, so it made me wonder what the silhouette would look like. Wouldn't you see it in the silhouette? There's no head on it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so he freaked out. He ran to some random neighbor's house and started pounding on the door and asked to be let in. So his neighbor wakes up and says, yes, bye, come on in for a cup of tea. Oh, yes. So he comes on in and Samuel finally calms down and he told his neighbor what happened. And his neighbor was like, oh, I bet you decide the headless sea captain. So he didn't tell him the story. The person that lived there prior to him was a beautiful woman and she had two men who loved her dearly. One was a local man, the other a sea captain from England who would visit any time his ship was in the harbor. He was from the song, Wave Over Wave. <laughs> so if anybody don't know, there's a song called Wave Over Wave. Look it up. The song is about a two-minute song followed by an eight-minute soliloquy <laughs> about the, the horrors of being married to a sailor. We laugh at it anyway. It's not supposed to be funny, but... It's not funny, but Chrissy and I find it hilarious for some reason. The local man was her boyfriend, and the sea captain was the forbidden lover. So when the boyfriend found out about the forbidden lover, obviously he was furious. The next time the ship was in harbor, uh, someone, assumingly the boyfriend, went to her house and hid in the shadows. So the moment the sea captain stepped out, the guy chopped his head off with a sword, a razor-sharp sword. Samuel's neighbor thinks that he just saw the sea captain's ghost. The murderer was never caught. I mean, it was soon to be the boyfriend, but there's no proof. and No DNA back in the 1700s. Mm. And it was said that the sea captain kept returning to there to try and find a person who took his head. Uh, so when Samuel heard the story, he was like, fuck this. And he found <laughs> somewhere else to live and never went back to the house again. Okay. This was in St. John's, you said? Yes. St. John's is full of haunted. It is. It, it truly is. Yeah. is. Most haunted place on earth, probably. It's up there. If you haven't done the St. John's Haunted Walk, you should. I know you have because we did it at the yeah. same time together. But if any listeners are in St. John's and haven't done it, immediately drop what you're doing and yeah. sign the self up to do it because it's yeah, so it's, good. It's very, it's very good. Okay. So those are your three stories. Yep. They're all unbelievable. <laughs> Maybe I made them all up. You probably did. That's going to be tough. Okay. I'll tell my last story. My final story for this episode is uh, The Mysterious Corpse. Yep. I think we're following each other in a way. Yeah, yeah. 
The line looked good. On March 23, 1909, a man named Frank Penny entered a bunkhouse of an unused lumber camp near Deer Lake, only to come face to face with a corpse. I do not know why he was in the abandoned camp to start with, <laughs> but uh, perhaps he was sent there to prepare the camp for the upcoming lumberjacking season, whenever that is, I don't know. But he expected to find an empty camp. That's what I think he was there for, just to start preparing. So to his great shock, lying in one of the bunks, uh, with his knees bent up and his arms folded across his chest, lay the body of a man that Penny did not recognize. It appeared that the man was positioned in such a way that he was trying to conserve body heat or, or keep warm, like he was, you know, bundled up like this. As soon as he gained his composure, Penny notified the camp manager, who, in turn, notified the local judge, whose name was Judge March. Judge March gathered up two police officers and a local doctor, and they all set out to this abandoned camp to investigate. This is 1909, so this is how things are done. Indeed, the investigation party found the body of a man just as Penny had described. The doctor examined the body right there in the camp. He estimated that his age was about 45 and pronounced him to have died due to exhaustion and exposure. I do not know how thorough his examination was, <laughs> but there it is. That's what he determined right there and then. They also determined that the body was probably there for at least several days as it had started to decompose. And they all talked about how disgusting the place smelled. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from the weirdness of a surprise corpse, nobody knew who he was or why he was there. To me, that would seem very, very unlikely in a small town, especially... Yes. A small town in 1909 in Newfoundland. Like, even now everyone knows everyone. Yep. But nevertheless, the police did have a job to do. So after the doctor was completed with his huge, thorough assessment of how this person died, they decided that they needed to remove the body from the camp and poke around to look for some clues. Who was he? Where did he come from? Basically, why was he there? What happened? The mystery man was wearing... Two suits of underwear, which I assume that means long johns. Regular underwear plus long johns over, maybe. I've never heard of a suit of underwear, but he's wearing two suits of underwear, three coats, and one pair of pants. Oddly, there was no mention of any shirt or any evidence that he had anything like a bag or snowshoes or a gun or like any belongings with him. As a sign of the times, the lumber manager called upon five workers to come and help move the body, but all of them refused. They were all superstitious about touching a corpse. They were like, mm -hmm. hell no. Nah. So this left it up to the police. Probably it should have been left up to them in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Know. But I guess the boss With man... The coroner. Or I, they probably didn't have a coroner. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. anyway, uh, the police or the doctor should have been the body mover. But anyway, regardless, the guys were like, nope. So the police finally, the two cops, they finally managed to uh, get him out of the bunkhouse and they get him down to the path where there's a horse-drawn sleigh waiting for him. Upon seeing this morbid cargo, the sleigh driver also refused to have anything to do with transporting the body. He's like, I'm not touching that. That's a dead person. So I'm assuming what happens next is like a Hollywood movie and the police commandeer the sleigh and the horse and they brought the body to some random house to prepare it for burial. At the time, and even for many, many years later, there was no funeral homes in Newfoundland. And when somebody died, you were laid out in your house or somebody's house for three days. Um, and that was your wake. So here at this rando house, the police take a closer look at the body and whatever he had on him. They're still looking for clues. In the pockets of his multiple coats, they found what they could only describe as astronomical drawings. 
and plans for an airship. So dirigibles were invented about 25 years earlier, and the Wright brothers had only flown the first airplane about five and a half years earlier. But apparently he had some drawings, blueprints, or whatever you call them, for um, some sort of an airship. Uh, Sciencey things were the only things amongst his possessions, though. They also found some writings that described the relationship between human beings and heavenly bodies, and they found a sketch of a man. They had no other uh, means of identifying the man, and they looked at the drawing and said, ah, that kind of looks like him. That's probably who this is. He drew a picture of himself. (laughs) (laughs) In the meantime, this was a decomposing body, but they're like, yeah, it's close. So they determined this is who it was. On the sketch was the name Jace R. Miller. So they figured, oh, that's his name. That's who it is. Must be, yeah. Gotta be. The man who may or may not have been Jace R. Miller was buried in a Catholic cemetery in nearby Birchy Cove, and all his weird drawings and airship plans were all retained by the police for later, just in case. They never had any other further leads as to who the man really was, what he was doing in the abandoned lumber camp, shirtless and triple-coated, where he came from, or what all those strange items meant. And today, the mystery man from all the way back in 1909... It's still a mystery. Nobody knows. Really? Yep. But they gave him a name. They're like, yeah, it looks like him. That must be him. <laughs> well, that's uh, three believable slash unbelievable stories. Should we uh, see if we can guess the lies? Yeah, let's see if we can guess the lies. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I guess you started your stories first, so I guess I'll guess your stories first. Okay. All right. So let me recap. So first we had a story about death by screech. Yep. Somebody died because they kissed a cod. Yep. Then you had a story about the man who hit a moose and didn't know it. It was covered yeah. in moose shit. And then you had the story of a, a guy who was haunted, possibly, by a headless sea captain. Yep. All equally believable and unbelievable. <laughs> exactly. It, really, it really is. So let me let me try to see if I can guess. So let's see. Ghost stories are fairly, uh, like, common stories. Like, I think, I think some... Now, and of course, even if that's your true story or one of your true stories, it's not a true story, right? Because it's a ghost. It's still not real. <laughs> but like the part of the of the game here is to guess which one you made up. Exactly. So did you make up a ghost story? Mm, I don't know. I think that would be a pretty, oh, pretty reasonable to assume that you could find a ghost story. The person who died from kissing the cod, that's super tragic. I kind of want that to be the lie. Could you really have a, a reaction that bad? I guess you could have an allergic reaction to anything, a bad enough reaction. And then you have the, the moose guy who who didn't know he hit the moose. It's very tough. Yeah. I'm going to guess that the story about hitting the moose is a lie. Incorrect. Get out. Do you want to take a second guess? Death by Screech? Death by Screech is the made-up story. Okay. Wow. The way you're talking yourself through it, I think, oh, I should be talking her way into getting the right answer. So, yeah. One thing about the moose one that I will say is I did change the names because it was so recent. I just didn't want to talk about people's. Oh, right. I wouldn't have known it, but listeners no, would be able to. Okay. Well, that was part of the reason why I'm like, that can't be right because it's so recent. Like, because to me, I was like, there's no way you would hit a moose and be covered in shit and blood and your car is falling apart and you wouldn't know it and then have nothing wrong with you, though. But those weird mental lapses happen. Like that's not yeah. unusual. That's that's something you've heard of before, right? Right. I mean, I guess I could have talked myself into any of those stories being true yeah. or false. That was really good. Yeah. Thanks. All right. All right. I'm a dummy. All right. So my turn. So to recap, we had the the Corner Brook boom, which is a very parallel watch to the Bell Island boom. 
of all the podcast stories we did, I probably did the most research on the Bell Island boom. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall coming across the Corner Brook boom, but now I'm starting to think maybe I did. Maybe the, the Mandela effect is happening here. <laughs> Stairs in the woods. Stories about people getting lost in the woods. I mean, throw the fairies in there and, and you got you got that story. Now, Stairs in the woods is uh, is common today, like you said. So you wouldn't have said that, I guess, if uh, if it was fake. Because you wouldn't tell me, oh, this isn't, everyone's doing this now, so I made up a story about it. So uh, I'm not sure about that one. The mysterious corpse with the flying spaceships in, in the pockets. <laughs> I don't know. It's the same thing. They're all both equally believable and unbelievable. I'm going to go as far as to say that I think the stairs in the woods is one of the true stories. And um, I'm going to say that the made up story is the mysterious corpse. Okay. Final answer? Final answer. You're incorrect. I'm incorrect. So yep. my second guess would be about the Corner Brook boom. Incorrect. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I the can, stairs in the woods. I completely made up the stairs in the woods. Okay. And the fact that you told me that this is a thing right now made me think that that's why you wouldn't have made this up. It is a thing right now. Yeah. Of course, I have two teenagers and a 10-year-old. And strangely enough, they're all into very weird stories and all that kind of stuff. And one of them pointed out about these stairs in the woods. And I'm like, what? This can't be a thing. But a lot of people are reporting about finding random stairs and they climb up and they lose time or they feel sick. All these strange things happen to them. I'm like, I can make a story out of that. Okay. If you hadn't told me... No, I, I still, I still would have, I would have bought that one. I would have, thought, I would have bought that one. That's a, a common thing: getting lost in the woods and people not realizing they're lost. I, I would have bought that one. Yep. Well done. You stumped me. Double stumped me. <laughs> they were all really well done. I was sure that you would be able to pick out my lie quickly. Really. Well, this was a fun episode. I must. Yeah, say. I really enjoyed. We got, we got to do this again. What do you think, listeners? Do you let us know if, if you thought it was good? If you guessed the lies, let us know at our somewerepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can let us know on Twitter at somewerepod. Or you can always check out our website, somewerepodcast.com. So we're going to take a short hiatus until we plan season four. I, I think we're probably going to do it very similar to season three. I think that was probably the, the format that we enjoyed the most. What was your favorite season three episode? Let's leave this one out because this is kind of different in format, right? What was my favorite one? Probably, I don't know. Every time that I did one, I'm like, I think that's my favorite episode. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Every episode that we did, I can't can't pick. They're like my children. What do you think? Uh, They're all really good. I'm not tooting our own horn, but I thought they're really good stories. But uh, the one that probably sticks out the most to me is Folia Do. It's just because the stories are so weird. Yeah, they were really, really weird. And like way back before we even conceived of doing this podcast together and I had the podcast dream in my mind, that no. was a topic that I knew that I would want to cover. Yeah. Because it's I really like that. so weird. But I mean, they all had they all had really great elements to them. Time Machines, I liked as well. Yeah, I really um, like Time Machines. I really like the story about uh, Carl von Kassel. Yes, yes, that was that might have been the weirdest one we did overall. So, but I uh, know overall a lot of good stuff, and we had a lot more. I think you said you had nineteen stories ready to go. Actually, that was a lie. I have twenty three. Twenty three. <laughs> yes. And we actually bumped one out for for season uh, from this season for to this episode here tonight because uh, we want we wanted to uh, make sure that we incorporated Newfoundland. So mm-hmm. we had a, an original idea that we'll I guess we'll get to early in or at some point next season. So, but anyway, we, we will be coming back with season four with some more some weird stories but in the meantime please keep yourself subscribed so you'll be uh, all set when we are ready to start releasing again 
thank you for all your support, for all your ratings, reviews, messages, and all that. Uh, it really encourages us to keep these podcasts coming. We didn't get too many negative words. Yeah, that's good, which is good. And uh, like you said, we'll be back in, in the very near future. But until we do, season three of the Some Weird Podcast was Some Weird by... Some Weird. <laughs>